Hi, I'm Tyler. And I'm Haley. And welcome to The The Cry Cry Club. Club. to the cry club my friends or as we are calling it this week the crime club Um, because this week is a episode all about criminal activities I guess just to give everyone a brief little overview of what we're going to be doing first we're going to as always share our cries of the week and then we're going to talk about things that should be illegal but aren't and then after that Tyler's going to give us a very well-researched rundown why we're fascinated with crime yeah kind of like where the true crime genre comes from and then a little bit of why we're fascinated by true crime as well as a crime that I think is super interesting that I don't think a lot of people have heard about I'm so excited to hear all of this it makes me scared (laughs) but usually only if it's super grisly crimes like murders and serial killers. I don't, I'm not really into that, but every now and then I get an itch. I'm really excited to kind of learn where that itch comes from because I know a lot of people, women especially it seems, have this itch for true crime. So if you feel like that's you, you're going to learn today where that itch comes from. And if it's not you, if you're more like me where it kind of gives you the heebie-jeebies, you're going to understand crime addicts a little bit better. (laughs) That's a really good way to put it. And I think this might be a good place to mention really quick that the crime that I go a little bit deeper into is not about murder. It's not about a serial killer. However, when I talk about the history of true crime, we do mention some pretty popular um, serial killers that you've probably heard of before. So if that upsets you, maybe fast forward to the part where I'm talking about the non-serial killer true crime. Yes, so this is your trigger warning for the episode. If that kind of thing upsets you, then stay for the first half where we talk about things that should be illegal but aren't, and we'll see you next week after that. So we'll give another little warning before we jump into the grizzly stuff. First, let's talk about things that made us cry this week. (laughs) Okay, Ty, why don't you go first? I had a a hard cry this week on maybe it was Tuesday because we took our dog Copper to the dog park Uh-oh. and we were literally there 15 seconds and he had an absolute meltdown. All the dogs there were three times his size and he decided to pick a fight with all of them at the same time and he was chasing them around the park and everyone was just standing frozen. I was frozen. Nate is trying to grab Copper. Copper's barking like he is a German shepherd. He's not. And by the time we catch up with him, he has the fur of another dog in his mouth. Like he caught up to this dog enough to get a chunk of this dog's fur. Luckily, it was not, you know, a bloody scene. There wasn't a reason why he should have been triggered. I do not bring you know, a misbehaved dog to the park to terrorize other dogs. Just something went wrong and it was so embarrassing. And the lady next to me whispered to the other lady, what's wrong with that dog? And it made me so sad. I felt so embarrassed. I was like, you don't know him. He's a good boy. I, I just, the shame, you know? That's the worst because that is that is not typical behavior for Copper at all. No, it's not. I mean, he does have his 
you know, maladaptive behaviors. <laughs> One of them is not ripping the fur out of other dogs. <laughs> okay, the first thing that made me cry this week was that I hurt my own feelings by making up a fake scenario in which Jacob divorced me. Okay. Um, yeah, it was really sad, and I actually had a dream about it. That was separate from the time where I made the scenario up. Like, I was thinking about it in my head, and I made up the scenario, and I started crying. And then that night, I had a dream about it, where he had, like, divorced me, and I was having to move on, and I was thinking about where I was going to live in a new apartment, and someone had told me to get on Tinder or something, and I was... So I woke up really, really sad, and I told Jacob about that dream. Anyway, that's the first reason I cried this week. Well, how, how did he react? Because I know sometimes you've said when you've told him about your dreams, he's like, what? I think he could see that I was very visibly upset about this dream, so he was really, really sweet about it. Okay, what's, your, what's the second thing that made you cry this week? Okay, second one was I finished my very first practicum. Woo! I sent you pictures of um, and I cried because I was so relieved it was over. <laughs> it was a long eight months. I learned a lot. I'm very glad that it's over. It really is such a big deal that you made it through it. And I cried when you sent me those pictures too, because I was so relieved it was over and so proud of you. Thank you. Thanks. I'm so glad that that is over. Um, the second reason I cried this week, well, it, I cried much, like way more than two times, but the second <laughs> reason I put on here was that I was hungry and I couldn't think of anything that sounded good. And I ended up eating something that I didn't really want, and I cried while I ate it. Oh my gosh. It wasn't really what this, I wanted. This sounds like, you know, maybe you're being silly. Maybe you're exaggerating. But have you ever been to a restaurant where you had to make a decision between something that you didn't know what you wanted to have, and then you got so overwhelmed about making the right decision, and then you chose the wrong thing, and then you had to eat that thing and pay for it? Yes. And it's even worse if the person that you're with ordered something good. Yes. Anyway, that's what it made me think of. Wow. Okay, so those are our cries of the week. I also, actually, can I do a bonus cry? Yes. <laughs> I'm going to tell everyone about our freaking Instagram issues that we've been having. Oh my god. So, this was the week where we finally published everything. We like started trying to follow people on Instagram, that kind of thing. And Which, I can, can I add, that that is not in either of our comfort zones. No. In any way, shape, or form. We're just like taking this giant leap outside of our comfort zones, and then this happens. So I'm, Tyler's finishing up her practicum, so she's at work, and I'm doing all of the stuff for Instagram, getting it published and everything, and I'm so excited about getting this Instagram up that I start like following people that I think would like our podcast, right? Being like, well, they follow podcasts that are maybe a little similar, so I'm going to follow them to kind of try and get our name out there. Apparently, this is a no-no for Instagram. I did not know this, but I got blocked on Instagram for following too many people in one day or something, which it wasn't like an obscene number of people. It was like a couple hundred. Maybe that is an obscene number. I don't know. I got blocked on Instagram, and I've been making cute little things. Well, I don't know if they're cute, but things to post on our Instagram this week, and I haven't been able to post them because I'm blocked until, like, tonight. Come tomorrow, I'll be able to post, but I was blocked for 72 hours. So if you followed us on our Instagram and then you're like, they're not a very fun account to follow. They've been MIA ever since she followed me. Yeah, and it's not my fault. It's Instagram. <laughs> 
they think I'm a predator or something. I don't know. Okay, this is so funny. The message that pops up for me when I try to go in on there, because I tried to edit something in a caption that I had written, it was like, um, you are not allowed to use any type of algorithm that follows multiple people at one time. For this reason, you are blocked. So apparently yeah. they think we're using some other app to yeah. go follow people, not our own poor little pointer finger. That was <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Trying to find people to follow. I got carpal tunnel for no reason. So me and Tyler came up with these. I think I'm going to do this segment and Tyler's going to do the next one, right? Having tons of trash in the front window or on the dashboard of your car. This should be illegal. Hide it in the doors in the backseat like the rest of us. Don't have it out there on display for the whole world to see. Your sentence for committing this crime is two years working at a car wash. So you need to learn how to value the cleanliness of a car. And not even that, or just learn how to hide the dirtiness of it. Crime number two. This criminal is the person that decided to put push locks in public bathrooms instead of locks that you can turn to feel secure. There's nothing worse, at least for someone like me, to go into a bathroom and to discover that it's a push lock. Because then you never really know if it's locked and if anyone ever jiggles the handle when you've done a push lock, especially if it's not one that clicks all the way in in a really satisfying way, so if it just kind of goes, like pushes halfway in and then it still will kind of move around a little bit. No, no, no. Whoever did that should be arrested. Um, and their sentence will be an eternity of never having enough toilet paper to finish the job. The next criminal is the person who jogs past you when you are on an uphill hike. And the sentence is that they have to pull you behind them in a wagon when they do that. So I have, I have a question. So let's say, you know, a trail runner does want to run past you. Is there an appropriate way to run past someone without being sentenced to pulling a wagon? Yes. So if they run past you and they make a remark like, oh my gosh, I hate this. I am dying. Something like that. That can negate the sentence. So if they acknowledge that it sucks what they are doing, and it really only is a problem if it's a really difficult hike, if you're wheezing. Like if you're just on a walk through the woods and it's beautiful, if someone's running, it's totally fine. But if you are on an uphill hike, you are wheezing, you are sweating. And someone runs past you and they're like, beautiful day, huh? No, pull out the wagon because it's time to hitch up. <laughs> okay, the next crime is telling a server at a restaurant that it's someone's birthday. Unless the birthday person specifically tells you, I love it when the servers come to sing to me. And I even brought my own sombrero. You are not allowed. You are not allowed to tell them. And the server who brings the sombrero, if you don't have one, they're an accomplice in the crime. If this crime is committed, the person who told the server may only listen to the Build-A-Bear Happy Birthday song for one year. And they must listen at least twice per day. And the reason that I chose this one is because the crime is well-intentioned. Like, usually you're not trying to torture the person whose birthday it is. So the song, like, the song that I'm going to make you listen to, it's pretty catchy. If you haven't heard the Build-A-Bear Happy Birthday song, Google it, because it is very catchy. Can you, but can it you give us, like, your own little, you know, rendition here? What, what the yeah, happy it birthday goes, is? It goes, like, happy birthday there, happy birthday. And it's actually, oh my gosh, we used to listen to this song every morning when it was one of our birthdays growing up. And <laughs> there's a line in it that's, like, it's a special day just for you, because today's the day the world gave us you. Happy birthday. And my mom would always turn down that part and be like, 
Today's the day the Lord gave us you. <laughs> so she wouldn't want to say world. She changed it for Lord. It was really cute. It's so endearing. It's a great song, but after a year, you're probably never going to make that mistake again. So the next crime is <laughs> the person who sold someone I know special Asian mushrooms that are the secret to a small waist. Um because apparently it's marketed as the reason that Asian women are so skinny. And I was talking about it with this person and they were like, I think I'm allergic to it because I've just been having <laughs> the worst diarrhea. And I just am so mad at whoever sold this, these mushrooms to them under the premise that they were not just intense laxatives, which is what they are. So everyone who tries to sell a diet pill should be arrested and their sentence is a lifetime of constipation. I love this one. Okay, the next crime is honking at someone half a second after the light turned green. You can chill, okay? You know, if more than a few seconds has passed, yeah, give them a little, otherwise, hold your horses. Um, your sentence is getting stuck at every red light you pass for one month. So not too crazy of a sentence, but be nice. I wish that there were two different kinds of horns in a car, like the, hey bud, like, you know, pay attention, the light just turned green. And the one like, hold your horses, you almost just killed me, right? Because yeah. I feel like the horns always sound abrasive and I'm not always trying to be rude to the person in front of me, yeah. right? So Absolutely. there should be like two different tones so that we could communicate a little bit more effectively while driving. That would be a great idea. Okay, um, the next crime is showing a stranger more than three pictures of your dog or baby. I understand, you really love them. So three pictures is okay. One is polite, two is like, oh, okay. And then three is, three is if you really, really love them, you can show three. Fourth, illegal. And if you commit this crime, the stranger gets to rename your dog or baby. That is the sentence. Okay, the next crime is, the next criminal, I guess, bikers who bike like their cars. You're not a car. You're on a bike. You're not as fast as a car. You shouldn't be in the very middle of the lane. And you should wear a helmet. Oh, shoot. <laughs> okay, the sentence for this one I actually didn't write because me and Jacob were, we were talking about these together and Jacob was telling me the sentence and I was just writing down every word he was saying as a joke. And so this one turned out, if they have, if they get, wait, they'll have biker butt for every night they sleep for two years. Wait, like they have biker butt and don't get used to the feeling of riding a bike. No, wait, that's all. <laughs> that's the literal, literal transcription of what Jacob's idea was yes that's the literal transcription he was distracted he was like doing something else but I like the I like the sentiment of biker butt you are going to be sore in the crotch forever okay the next crime is not re-racking your weights at the gym people can't lift as much as you can so if you leave 345s on a rack take them off that's obscene um, your punishment is that you have to work out in jeans and snow boots for one month. The next crime is if you are skiing or snowboarding and you block the lift exit to adjust your skis or put on your snowboard, that sort of thing. So if you get off of the lift and then you sit down and start to put your, your board on or tighten your bindings or whatever you're doing, if you're blocking the lift so other people have to swerve to get around you as they're getting off, you are committing a crime and you're not allowed to use the lift anymore, and you have to walk up the hills for the rest of the day. The next crime is commenting on someone else's weight or their body. Illegal. 
absolutely illegal, you are going to straight to jail, and in addition to that, your mouth will be glued shut forever. Um, or until you learn to value people for who they are and not what they look like. The next criminal is Jaden Smith for saying that he wants to talk about the socioeconomic and political state of the world. His sentence is that he may never talk about the socioeconomic or political state of the world and instead must listen to Whip My Hair by his little sister and watch After Earth, which is the worst movie ever made. He can only do those two things. Oh my gosh, that one had me crying. The next one, the next crime is spilling food on books, especially if it's a book that has been loaned to you. No little crummies in the binding. Don't do that. That's disgusting. And if you do that, you have to live off the food you spilled on the pages for a week. That's all you get. Okay. Um, Netflix should be arrested for making The Kissing Booth. And there's a triple sentence on this one. They have to watch The Kissing Booth trilogy every weekend. But on holidays, they can have a break and they can watch Tall Girl. Okay. The next one is people who say especially, and then they correct your grammar. If you say especially, PSA, it's especially. There's no X sound in there. And if you make this mistake, you're totally fine, okay? You're okay. We're not mad at you. However, if you say especially, and then you correct someone who says especially, no. Um, you have to be a substitute teacher for third graders for six months without compensation. The next criminal is the person who commented on Tyler's anonymous Facebook post where she asked for advice about Copper's mental breakdown and she asked a question about dog aggression and the person replied maybe you should try socializing him no 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 um they have to camp in the dog park for five days and drink and eat out of the public dog bowls that is their punishment I'm just like come on what do you think like I go to Facebook as a last resort. I'm yeah. not beginning my, like, dog training. This is, like, desperation. Please give me some advice. Try socializing him. Why don't you go socialize yourself? Man, that made me so pissed. <laughs> okay, so this next one. So the last two, especially, and the Facebook post, from here on out, they're Tyler's crimes that she made. The criminals are the creators of the Aragon movie. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I'm These laughing so hard, but I don't book to film adaptation ever. <laughs> it is the worst. And if you look it up, that main actor looks literally identical to Haley Mills. I'll post a side by side on our Instagram. Haley Mills and the main actor from Aragon are the same person. Anyway, they must make a formal and public apology and they can only name their children after characters from the Aragon books. Okay, the next crime is owning a druck which is the jeep version of a truck the sentence is that they can never put anything in the bed of the truck because jeeps weren't meant to be trucks next one people who touch pregnant bellies without asking especially when the belly belongs to a stranger um, and they have to indefinitely wear one of those fake pregnant bellies um, that tyler had to wear in middle school health class to deter teen pregnancy because <laughs> that that'll do it the next crime is restaurants that automatically apply the tip and it's egregiously high. Okay, to be clear, we are not anti-tips. We love tips. But the sentence for this crime is to increase employees' wages instead of forcing their customers to do it for them. That's the only place that they do this at. It's like at places where they aren't paying their customers enough. I'm like, yes, leave a healthy tip. And also, how about you, play, you pay your servers more money? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You can't force someone to pay your workers a wage that you refuse to pay them. Thank you. Tip generously. 
but also restaurants should not get away with paying their servers dirt. Second to last one. The criminals are people who still religiously keep Snapchat streaks. <laughs> and they must send physical printed out Snapchats to all of their friends that they snap for a week <laughs> to bring them back to the real world, to ground them again. We have nothing against you, but it's for your own good, okay? It's a petty crime, right? It's a petty crime. This is not a misdemeanor. It's not a felony, you know? No. We're, we're trying to help. This is like a seatbelt. We're doing it for your own safety, for your own good. Okay, the last one. People who use the stall designated for handicapped persons when there are plenty of other stalls available. This is a great one. It should be illegal. Also, I am guilty of this one at times. So I guess my sentence is that I have to clean the next public restroom that I use. And honestly, I deserve it. Actually, okay, I'll only ever do it if it's one of those ones that has like a private sink in there and there's no one else in line. Yeah, and see, it's no only if there are, if there are people in the in the bathroom and there are plenty of other stalls available. But sometimes the luxury, right? It gets you. Okay, my friends. Here's the official trigger warning for the rest of the episode. We are going to be talking about things like abduction, murder, and self harm. We're not going into detail, but they are referenced. So if any of that is triggering to you, then please. Catch us next week, and thank you so much for listening to the beginning of this podcast. So that is the end of our things that should be criminal activities, things that should be illegal but aren't. Also, I realize, I don't know if we've ever told this because people have seen pictures of us, but on our podcast thing, I'm Haley, I'm the blonde one, and then Tyler's the brunette one, if you need a name with a face. I don't think we mentioned that ever. That would bug me if I were listening and I didn't know which was which. Okay, so now Tyler's going to get into her section on why we're even into true crime and get into her little true crime story, which I'm so excited for. First off, I would like to say that this is a survey, not a deep dive. Okay, so there are things that we're going to leave out. Important people, journalists, shows, podcasts, but I chose the ones that stuck out to me to include in the survey. So that is my disclaimer. But I had this image kind of come into my mind. I am deciding to take Copper on a walk. We usually go on an early morning walk every day. The sun is shining, the birds are singing, and my earbuds are blasting the horrific details of a series of murders in 1984 that took place just 30 minutes away from the walking trail that I'm on. So by most people's standards, if you have a conscience, something about this feels very wrong. The weird thing is, is that I know that I'm not the only crazy person who loves reading about a cold case gone hot or decompressing to a Netflix docuseries about Ted Bundy and his 20 confirmed victims after a long day at work. So what's the deal? Are we all just raging sociopaths, disguising ourselves as normal functioning humans? hoping that the stranger in the airport doesn't catch a glimpse of our reading material that's conspicuously titled something like, I'll be gone in the dark, one woman's obsessive search for the Golden State Killer. So I got curious about where this obsession and fascination with true crime comes from and traced its roots back to 16th century England. So interestingly, even though more and more people were learning to read, the skill obviously still remained reserved for the elite and upper classes and not the lowly poor peasants. So in other words, true crime reports, no matter how horrible the assault, kidnapping, or murder, were considered, quote, respectable, since they were only consumed by the artisan class and above. Isn't that weird? So as we move into the 1900s, the true crime genre starts to take 
the shape that we recognize today, beginning with the publication of Truman Capote is the way I've heard it said, but that could be wrong. Um, his book, In Cold Blood. Some even consider it the original nonfiction novel. So I think that true crime finally descends from its respectable, quote unquote, pedestal in the 80s and 90s and beyond when other forms of media made it more accessible to the masses. Not that it's no longer respectable, but I think it just came down kind of from like its academic pedestal to something that could be consumed by the layperson. Plus, literacy rates have gone way up since 16th century London, which is great news for all of us. So first, I want to talk about Anne Rule because she's important, but also because of a personal tie to dear old Anne. I think my mom has read every single one of her books, and she has written, I think, over 30. In fact, we used to have a wall-to-wall -wall bookcase where we lived in Ohio with a couple of shelves, like several shelves, a couple is an understatement, dedicated to Anne Rule's sacred work as the frontierswoman in the true crime genre. So she worked as a police officer in Seattle in the 60s, which just is really cool, and began writing under the pen name Andy Stack for a magazine called True Crime. Then in 1971, she meets Ted freaking Bundy while she was working for a suicide hotline and they become friends. So even after suspicions about his true colors start to percolate the media in 1975, they're like still having contact, meeting up for lunches. They literally have a conversation where Anne is like, hey, you know, I'm hearing all this stuff about you. And I have to tell you, Ted, like, I don't think you're innocent. And he's like, you know, that's okay. You, you can think that. Just got to say, ladies, that's a red flag. <laughs> Wondering officially a red flag if he is accused of murder. Red flag. Okay. Okay. So Rule wrote over 30 books, some of which were turned in, some of which were turned into movies and sold over 20 million copies. Okay, so let's take a break from the written word and jump to the true crime genre on television. It would not be possible to talk about this without mentioning America's Most Wanted. So the Fox Network recruited John Walsh to be the host. They had gone through a bunch of other people that they wanted to host and people turned it down saying, I don't think there's an audience in the US, et cetera, et cetera. And so they finally contacted John who had been in the media because his son, Adam, had been abducted and killed. So he had been advocating for um, new laws and resources to help missing children. America's Most Wanted debuted in 1988. And within the first week on air, David James Roberts, a man who had escaped from prison by digging a tunnel underneath the prison, and he was a member of the FBI's 10 Most Wanted list, was captured as a direct result of an episode about him. Isn't that cool? So the show only just ended in 2012, but it's outlived by its cousins Dateline, which has now been running for 30 seasons, and Cold Case Files, which began running in 1999. In recent years, Netflix and other streaming services have gotten their feet wet in the true crime genre with series like The Disappearance of Madeline McCann, The Murder in Plainville, Tiger King, Abducted in Plain Sight, and my most recent favorite, The Tinder Swindler. Oh, you would like that one because there's no murder. And of course, we can't end this survey about the true crime genre without mentioning the advent of podcasting. The show Serial was the first of its kind. S-E-R-I-A-L, not serial like Honey Bunches of Oats. 
And it, quote, set the gold standard, not just for true crime, but for the whole genre of first person long form podcast journalism, says Rebecca Lavoie with Vulture, an online magazine that my professors would not consider a peer reviewed article. But she's right. So many notable podcasts have followed Serial, including In the Dark, Up and Vanished, Dirty John, which is just so good, Dr. Death, which I also loved, and Missing and Murdered, which was really tragic and a really important story. So Missing and Murdered about Cleo, I would highly recommend. So what I love about this genre and podcast form is that the ones that are well done, because there are trashy ones, right? Like there are trashy ones that are there just for the cheap thrill of talking about murder or crime. The ones that are done well explore more than just the crime itself, but the social, economic, political, and other factors that can all play a role in the planning and carrying out of a crime. So this brings me back to our original question. Why are we so obsessed with crime? Why can we trace this genre back to the 1500s? Uh, first and most obvious would be morbid curiosity. Christine Persaud with Digital Trends writes, the answer leans to part escapism, part morbid curiosity. And ironically, while true crime is rooted in fact, watching these terrible tales about events that took place decades or even just a few years ago offers a strange sense of satisfaction that maybe things are and will be okay. Because, well, they could be worse. It dates back to Sigmund Freud and the feeling of Freud is what he called it, which is essentially this idea that there is a certain level of pleasure from other people's suffering, but it's not from malicious intent, but just a relief that it's happening to someone else and not us. So take that for what you will. I think that there are a lot of other reasons besides the ones described here under morbid curiosity, and we will jump into those. One thing that I will say too, I mean, as we all know, Freud was not the best with psychology. (laughs) And so I I find that like really confusing to think that someone would get a, I mean, even if you say like a relief that it's not happening to them, I mean, I guess, yes, but also don't you feel like listening to that sort of thing makes you once more scared that it could happen to you, but also like it just makes me feel sick to my stomach because it feels like it is happening to you. So I don't know, how is it then? So first, I think we should mention that dear old Freud is debunked in almost like every way. So rest in peace, Sigmund. I think what he was getting at was this morbid curiosity. And I do think that morbid curiosity plays a role. Pleasure from other people's suffering or simple relief that it's not happening to someone else. Not sure if I totally agree with that, but laying out one of the proposed reasons why people like to watch true crime. There are three other ones that I think make a little bit more sense to me. Yeah, I think I think that that's a great point because I think there is a difference between morbid curiosity and sadism, which is more like what the Freudian concept sounds like. I totally agree. One of the other proposed ideas is that it's in our DNA that say that uh, we're interested in these tales because they have played a significant part in human society since hunter-gatherer days gatherer days so it's in our nature to be highly attuned to criminal misdemeanors and we instinctively want to discover who what when and where so we can find out what makes criminals tick and better protect ourselves and our clan that makes a lot more sense to me that also makes a lot of sense to me because the only reason that i have ever like i've googled before 
which maybe this is really weird. I don't listen to true crime, but I have Googled before like tactics that criminals or killers have used. So for example, Ted Bundy, I've Googled and I know that he would often pretend to be injured and go around college campuses, like park on the streets and then drop his books so that a girl would offer to help him carry them to his car. I am trying to figure out what to watch out for, things not to do, because that is, I, I, I have horrible instincts. So if someone dropped their books in front of me, regardless of who it was, I would totally offer to help carry it to their car. You know, the worst instincts ever. So I think that there is an element of that in there for sure. That is exactly what Eden Gordon talks about. She's with Magellan TV and she literally says what you just said. So women account for roughly 70% of serial killers victims between 1985 and 2010. So out of necessity, women have a reason to stay on the alert and pay attention to stories about sociopathic criminals, especially those who hunt after dark. So this is why the viewership and listenership for this type of genre is made up of mostly women. Um, And then Dr. Sharon Parker, an assistant clinical professor of psychiatry and behavioral sciences, states that learning about true crime can feel like a, quote, dress rehearsal for women who know they could end up in these types of situations. How horrible is that? How sad is that, that women literally need to be scared for their lives walking home from college campus? No, I, I know. It's like every time I walk out of the grocery store and go to my car, I'm like, checking to make sure no one's hiding under it. No one's in the back seat, And yeah. I just do it instinctively. I don't even think about it, right? It's not a conscious decision. It's just like, oh, I need to do this so I can be safe. One time I took a self-defense course so that I could learn how to get out of holds and things like that. Because the further away, if you try and push yourself away, you give them more room to swing at you or to grab you or to do things. If you are pulling yourself right up tight against them, there's no room for them to, to swing, right? But it's it's anti-instinct to think about these things. So I totally think that that's a thing to try and learn how to protect yourself. The dress rehearsal, I feel like is a really good way to put it. Very accurate. Okay. So to wrap this up, I would just say that the other reason is justice. We have like a natural instinct for justice. We like seeing justice served. Let's talk about a crime that has nothing to do with serial killers. I mean, depending on how you look at it. Okay. In 1953, a secret CIA project began that involved LSD, unsuspecting victims, and a less than successful cover-up 20 years later. During this time period, the Cold War was in full swing, or not in full swing, depending on how you look at this war that never had any direct conflict. But anyway, members of the CIA started to become obsessed with mind control when, get this, American citizens started coming back from Russia in support of communism. Since nothing but brainwashing could have possibly convinced these good capitalist boys to turn into communists, the CIA renewed their research with even greater fervor, trying to find out what the Russians were using to control the minds of these Americans. Sidney Gottlieb led the search for a substance that could be used to, quote from Sidney, blast away the existing mind and insert a new mind in that resulting void. Wow, what a patriot. He would get really good at the first part and not so good at the second. During Gottlieb's tenure at the CIA, he began a clandestine project dubbed MKUltra. Gottlieb's immediate boss, along with the CIA director, basically gave him a blank check, allowing him to use whatever means necessary to gather his research. And Gottlieb cashed in that check. 
In order to determine if this was the mind-controlling substance he had been searching for, he and his team gave the substance to unsuspecting hospitals, clinics, and prisons, asking them to test it on their patients, and then to report the results to the bogus foundations that he used as a cover-up. In Gottlieb's own words, he wanted to test it on, quote, people who could not fight back. There are multiple famous people who got their LSD through these experiments sponsored by the CIA and MKUltra, including Ken Kesey, or Kesey, I don't want to say his name, the author of One Flew Up Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Robert Hunter, the lyricist for the band The Grateful Dead, and Allen Ginsberg, an acclaimed American poet. Some of these experiments included sending undercover scientists to bars and parties, spiking drinks, and then observing the effects on the unwitting victims. But this wasn't their only approach. There was a sub-project named Operation Midnight Climax where the CIA employed marginalized and desperate sex workers who would lure unsuspecting gentlemen to safe houses with one-way mirrors that were set up by the CIA. The workers would offer the men spiked drinks, and then the scientists would sit on the other side of these mirrors and watch the unsuspecting Johns take a very unexpected trip. I'm, I'm understanding Freud's theory a little more. These guys sound like sadists. So in 1973, Gottlieb's supervisor, Richard Helms, was removed um, from his position by President Nixon. Since he was the only other person who had an inkling of what Gottlieb was up to, they both decided it was time to throw in the towel and cover their tracks. They literally drove out to the CIA record center to ensure that all the proof uh, about Project MKUltra was destroyed. However, expense reports and some other records were kept in separate locations, and they escaped the Great Purge which led to the ability to piece together this egregious violation of human rights later down the road. Terry Gross with NPR stated, so the CIA brought LSD to America unwittingly. And actually it's a tremendous irony that the drug that the CIA hoped would be its key to controlling humanity actually wound up fueling a generational rebellion that was dedicated to destroying everything that the CIA held dear and defended. So, Dear Sidney was never arrested, never had to pay any consequences for his actions. In fact, apparently he went and lived in India after this and worked at a hospital and got to get a master's degree. Upon Googling, we found out that he was able to die comfortably in his home at the ripe age of 80 and that all of his colleagues basically defended him his whole life. Like they were saying, he never did what he did to be inhumane. He just thought he was doing what was needed. So essentially all of his efforts were in vain and LSD is a permanent resident here in the United States, but not as the mind controlling agent that Sidney Gottlieb thought it would be. So that wraps up my little survey on true crime. Yeah, so... If you're at home listening right now, give Tyler a round of applause because I can tell how much research and time went into that and we appreciate it. Me especially because I didn't have to do any research. So (laughs) I've just been sitting back and enjoying all of your work this time around. So greatly appreciated from my end. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review Um, wherever you're listening. It really is greatly appreciated, and um, we obsessively check the ratings and reviews, which maybe isn't healthy, but it's very exciting for us. So thank you so much for anyone who's leaving those. It's so sweet. It means so much to us, and we do 
read what you say. Follow us on Instagram and stay tuned every Tuesday for new episodes. And Thank you guys, you, so you have you have to go on the Instagram because Haley has made the sweetest, cutest graphics you have ever seen. I love them and please share them with your friends. <laughs> there are doodles of people crying. So if that resonates, follow our Insta. Once I'm unblocked. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thanks for listening. And welcome to the club. Thank you.